A few years back, as I was reading through the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1 through 2, I noticed something that I never saw before. There's a lot of singing in the Christmas story. In the Gospel of Luke, four songs are sung, to be exact. There's Mary's song in chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, Zechariah's song in 67 to 79, the angel's song for the shepherds in chapter 2, 13 and 14, and then we have old Simeon singing in chapter 2, verses 28 to 35. Besides singing, do you know what else Mary and Zechariah and the shepherds and Simeon have in common? It's this. They each were a part of the group in society known as the have-nots, those trying to survive injustice in their lives. They were strugglers. In fact, Luke describes Mary's condition as one of lowliness in verse 48, a term which refers to a person being oppressed or being treated badly by people of higher status. Then there's Zechariah and Elizabeth. An elderly couple whose old age was made worse by the fact that they were childless. And it's this childlessness which brings great shame to Elizabeth. In fact, the the shame is so great that she believes, according to Luke 1.25, that she is a reproach among people. She feels such disgrace that she hardly considers herself a part of the human race because of her barrenness. Then we encounter the shepherds. The shepherds, uh, though their blue-collar profession is necessary to the Jews so that they can offer their sacrifices that were required of them in the temple, shepherds were often dismissed in society because of how they smelled, uh, their appearance, and, and even their social crudeness. They were despised people. And finally, there is Simeon. Now, we know very little about this elderly man that would cause him to be labeled as marginal, but it's in what he sings about. It's a group who knew what it was to be outside. This group was known as Gentiles, non-Jews, Gentiles, those not God's chosen people. And listen to the words of of Simeon's song in Luke chapter 2, 29 to 32. Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Why? Because he's seen Jesus. In verse 30, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Now catch this. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles, those who are not God's people. Now what do you know about the baby Jesus that makes the marginalized sing? They sing because they know Jesus is the one who will fulfill God's promise to them. Let's leave Luke for a moment and jump back to the Old Testament and to the prophet Isaiah. As we learned last week, Isaiah writes to the exiled people of God. The Jews at this time were thrown out of Jerusalem. They were thrown out of Israel by the Babylonians through war. Well, the time has come for God's people to return to their beloved country and city, Jerusalem. And as they approach the city of God, it is not as they remembered it. As they look at Jerusalem, all they see is devastation. 
In fact, think of the time when you stepped out of your basement or you stepped out of that inner room of your home for the first time after the Joplin tornado. And all you see is devastation around you. I wonder if that's what the exiled Jews saw. And if that's what they felt as they approached Jerusalem. Well, seeing this, the Jews realized that restoration is needed. Now, with this background, listen to the prophetic words of Isaiah in chapter 61, verses 1 to 4. Here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me, catch this, to bring good news, good news to the, listen to the list of those who will receive the good news. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display His glory. Now pay attention to verse 4. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Who are they? Well, they are the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, all those who mourn. See, not only is this a restoration of the city, Jerusalem, but this is also the restoration of a group of people. God renews the marginalized to do the will of God. So why all this singing in Luke? Could it be? Because the have-nots recognize Jesus as God in the flesh who has come to rewrite their story. You see, God wrote himself into his own story, into our story through Jesus Christ. God the Son put on human flesh and he lived among us so he could die on the cross, be buried for three days, then rise again to heal us from our sin, to make the world new again. Well, in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, the marginalized recognize God coming into their story through the baby Jesus to heal and to save us. What's the best way to respond to such good news? Well, you sing. God's people have a history of singing about restored blessings. Listen to Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled. We are filled with joy. I love that picture. You see, the psalm opens with God's people remembering their deliverance from their hell on earth. 
They've just spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity, and they lost everything that was meaningful to them. Things seemed hopeless, and when they could see no way out, look what happens in verse 4 of Psalm 126. It says, Restore our fortunes, Lord. There's that word again, restore. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Some powerful images in this psalm. You see, when Israel could see no way out of captivity, what happened? Well, the Lord brought his captive, captive people back to Zion, and they couldn't believe it. They're standing in Jerusalem again. God's people were like men who dream. They could hardly believe what God had done. Now, remember, their powerful enemies around them had even recognized this. They had tried to wipe Israel out, and they almost were successful. But God intervened in international politics, and he raised up the Persians to defeat the Babylonians. And after the victory of King Cyrus, God moved King Cyrus of Persia to set God's people free so they could return to Jerusalem. And it all seemed like a dream to God's people. Well, as Israel crosses the city limits back into Jerusalem for the first time after a seven-year prison sentence in Babylonian captivity, their mouths were filled with laughter, their tongues with songs of joy. Why? Because of what God had done for his people, it was so unbelievable. Even the nation surrounding Israel said, the Lord has done great things for his people. They even recognized it. And yet with all this laughter, with all this joy and singing, something was still missing. Their prayers were still filled with sorrow. Though they were home, what was still missing that they prayed for? Well, Psalm 126, verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the desert of Negev. Though they are back home in the promised land, it feels like a God-forsaken desert. They have no homes because they were all destroyed. Their fields and farmland, their vineyards had grown wild with weeds. The city of Jerusalem was just a pile of rubble. And their temple, the temple that once stood strong and proud, is now a pile of debris. For Israel, home isn't what it used to be. You see all the devastation. You see all this devastation and you wonder, where do we begin to put life back together again so this can be home again? That's Israel. Because everything in their lives was broken. Everything needed to be fixed. They felt hopeless. They felt helpless. They needed a miracle. A miracle as great as rain in the desert that turns the land of sand into lush gardens of fruit trees, flowers of every color, and grass like carpet. They needed a miracle. And that is the kind of miracle they prayed for. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the desert of Negev. As God's people, the church knows this feeling all too well. 
as we sit in church, how many of us are in between sorrow and joy? The cancer, it may be gone, but you'll never be like you were before the cancer. Uh, you're happy you have a second, uh, third, fourth chance at this relationship, but the issues are still there that keep it from being heavenly with no guarantee that it will work out. You're thrilled that your contract at work was renewed, but who knows? Who knows what will happen if COVID requires a lockdown again? You're thankful for another birthday. But you're discovering the truth of the saying that says, growing old is not for sissies. And you wonder, you wonder if the next year of your life will end with a bang or a whimper. We know what it's like to live in between joy and sorrow, uh, agony and ecstasy. So how do we sing in such times? How do we sing with Mary? How do we sing with the shepherds and Zechariah and Simeon and Israel when the joy of the promise is being fulfilled, but its complete reality is still in the future? It's still yet to come. How do we sing in such times? Well, listen to the promise of Psalm 126, verses 5 to 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will, will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with him. The reaping, it is the picture of God's faithfulness. We do our work of planting seeds, and God does his work of making it grow. But many times the sowing is a difficult work. We cry as we work the fields of God at home, at work, and in life. Del Tummer, a man served as a missionary in the Sahara Desert in West Africa, where the climate is like they were in Bible lands. The rain comes in May through August, and the other eight months are bitterly hot and bone dry. No farming is possible in those eight months. Everything must be from between May and August. In the fall, granaries are full, and so are stomachs. The people are so happy because their lives are overflowing with food. And so they sing and they dance and they fellowship because times are good. But by December, supplies begin to recede and families begin eating just one meal a day. By February, people feel hungry. And by March, food is rationed to only half a meal a day. And the children cry from hunger. Hunger. April is the most haunting month. It is the month you hear the babies crying as the sun sets because their mother's milk has now stopped because the mother is so malnourished from the lack of food. And then, inevitably, it happens every year. There's a six- or seven-year-old child who comes running to their father one day with sudden excitement. Daddy, Daddy, we've got grain. Out in the hut where we keep the goats, there's a leather sack hanging on the wall, hanging on the wall and it's full of grain, Dad. We have food. In the excitement of the child, the father remains motionless and says, Son, we can't eat that grain. That's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing between us and starvation. We're waiting for the rains, and then we must plant that grain. 
Instead of feeding his desperately weakened family, when the rains come, the farmer goes to the field and with tears streaming down his face, he takes the precious seed in that bag and instead of feeding his family, he throws it away. He scatters it in the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. The tears of sowing and sorrow will turn to the joy of a new harvest of abundance again. Did you know that Jesus understands what it means to sow in tears? Jesus sowed in tears of intercession by making appeals for our sake. Hebrews chapter 5, 7 to 8 says this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus sowed in tears of compassion as he wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Lazarus in John chapter 11. Jesus sowed in tears of sorrow over the sin of in Jerusalem and he grieved over Jerusalem's destruction that was to come. Luke chapter 19, 41 to 42. Until Christ returns to make all things new, the church will sow in tears as we open our hearts to the pain and brokenness of this world. But we must be confident. We must be confident in the harvest that God will bring. Each tear we shed for the world and others is a seed that God will one day grow into a harvest of joy. How can we be sure that that is true? How can we trust this beautiful promise in Psalm 126 when the tears are falling like rain in life? Because God has done great things for the church, the greatest being the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, looking ahead to Jesus' own death, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 25, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Well, Jesus dies and he falls into the ground and out of that springs new life that produces a harvest beyond imagination of saved souls. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter shouts, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection from the dead of Jesus. The man of sorrows became the Lord of joy. You see, the resurrection is proof that our tears do not simply sink into the dry soil of our disappointments and suffering. Instead, God blesses those tears and transforms them into a harvest of joy beyond what we could ever imagine. And that, my friend, is why the church sings at Christmas. Because Jesus brings the joy our tears have always waited for.